Welcome to Movie Maker Interviews, the only podcast where we do our best to shut up and let the guests do the talking. Our guests, of course, are movie makers talking about the art and craft of making movies. My name is Tim Malloy, and our first guest this week is Willem Dafoe, talking about his role in The Lighthouse, his entire approach to acting, and how much fun he's having on screen. We're releasing this now because The Lighthouse will be available soon for home viewing, even though you should really see it in a theater, and because Oscar voting starts soon, and a lot of Movie Maker Magazine subscribers are voting Guild members. For all of Defoe's roles in Platoon, Last Temptation of Christ, Wild at Heart, Nymphomaniac, The English Patient, he somehow never won an Oscar. However, of the four nominations he's received, two were in the last two years. Those were Best Actor for Out Eternity's Gate and Best Supporting Actor for The Florida Project, so momentum is on his side. In 2020, he'll reunite with director Wes Anderson, one of his frequent collaborators, for the French Dispatch. Speaking of French, our second guest is Laure de Clermont-Tonnerre, director of the beautiful film The Mustang. It came out earlier this year, but we're releasing this now because we also hope that Oscar voters will remember The Mustang. But first, Willem Dafoe. We spoke over the phone, and the full interview will run in the next issue of Movie Maker Magazine, out at the end of January. I wondered if we could start by talking about The Lighthouse and why you chose to take on the role. Okay. Um, well, I had seen The Witch, and I was a great admirer of it, and I reached out to Robert Eggers um, just to meet him and uh, because I thought there was, there was a special filmmaker there. So I met him, and we got along fantastically, and we shared a lot of interests and uh, talked about ways of working, and we, uh, <clears throat> I, I just thought uh, it would be uh, good to work with him. So we kind of made a pact with each other that we'd try to find something, and the lighthouse was it. Oh. And basically, it was a very direct approach. I mean, once he had written the lighthouse with his brother, uh, he sent it to me and said, look, uh, we can make this film. Uh, you and Rob Pattinson, uh, do you want to do it or not? And of course, <laughs> I did. Uh, for various reasons. The language was beautiful. I liked the event. I was looking very forward to um, shooting the way he shoots, uh, uh, very specific, at a very specific location. We were going to be isolated. We were going to build the lighthouse. Um, I, I just imagined, uh, as soon as I read it, uh, the, it, was, it, was, it was easy to imagine uh, what I that I'd learned something and I'd have some yeah. sort of shift of um, understanding. So it was like an adventure, and also uh, would be the opportunity to work with a young director that I thought was um, really interesting and had a very uh, personal vision. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that shift in understanding. Our sympathies change in the lighthouse in such an interesting way, where we go from initially finding your character Thomas Wake kind of unpleasant, deliberately. You're playing him in a very unpleasant way. But by the end of it, we are absolutely rooting for him. Uh, can you talk about that transition and whether oh. there were things that you did to sort of affect that change in us as an audience? Well, I think that's really built into the screenplay. Uh, it's beautifully written. The progression is good. The progression of the relationship between these two men 
is very specific. So I basically played the scenes, and I'm not that conscious of where he starts and he where he ends up. I tried to just uh, be present for those scenes and uh, inhabit that role. Yeah. And the way it's built is at the very beginning, he kind of lays down the law because he's establishing a way of life, a belief system. And when you see that they're in trouble, that system of belief and that way of life starts to deteriorate. And you see his various strategies in, in his uh, to dominate or ameliorate or, you know, uh, Find some sort of um, find some sort of hang on one sec. Sure. Find some sort of peace or a sense of security. So you start to see his vulnerability after a while, and that's not really something that I design. It's more uh, just submitting to the actions of the movie yeah. because it's the, the the narrative because it's very beautifully built. So um, basically. Yeah, I don't stand outside of that because it's it's funny when when I I think this is true for most actors when you're playing a role, or at least well, let's not talk about most actors. I'll just talk about my experience. <laughs> my experience is I often don't know, I don't think of how an audience is viewing a character. I think you can't, otherwise you stand out of outside of it too much. Mm. I mean, even playing a clearly um, unpleasant character like Bobby Peru, I'm in it. I'm taking his side. I'm not, I'm not thinking about arching things for uh, the audience uh, in the same way that I'm, when I'm playing Bobby in the Florida Project. I'm not thinking that he's a nice guy. I'm just trying to be a manager yeah. in the context, a hotel manager in the context of the story. So I felt a similar way about Thomas Wake. I'm not standing outside of it. I'm really trying to be there with his problems, with his strategies, with his relationship to the other character. You know, I love the Florida Project so much, and I love the way you play that character. You seem to have gone back and forth between some characters who are really menacing and some who are so gentle and so compassionate like him. Do you approach both types of roles the same way? Well, I, this kind of this kind of um, piggybacks on my last answer a little bit because you know when you play a character, you have some sense of how they function in the overall uh, overall story. So, and I think because in order to not have them be a cartoon and not have them just a, a mouthpiece to express a point of view or explain something to really to really. Uh, represent them you have to take their side yeah. and one of the ways to take their side is to try to find the complexity uh, that goes beyond their function sometimes and the best way to do that is, is let's say if you at least uh, usually what feels like the best way is naturally if you have a guy that functions as an evil character I think it's the most natural thing in the world to try to find the shadow side of that and his sweet and that's his sweetness, his kindness. Hmm. Uh, so you aren't just, uh, you know, creating a polemic. Uh, you're, you're really uh, creating a situation that lets the audience uh, 
wonder about the character and think about the character and consider the character. It's not they're just receiving a teaching or an explanation. They're experiencing something that may change their view of how they look at things, both, you know, politically, emotionally, um, empathetically. And, and so I think it's natural if you're playing a bad character, what's perceived as a bad character or a good character, you want to balance that with uh, the other side that's not seen, the side that's not apparent. And you don't manufacture anything. I think it's just normal. Because you, I, I really believe that we all are capable of any kind of behavior, and different behavior uh, happens due to circumstances and, and volition. So yeah. if, you, if you accept the fact that uh, our... our stamp of a certain kind of behavior isn't exclusively one way or another. To really be those characters, you have to entertain the parts of them that maybe aren't explicit in the screenplay. Is there any particular quality you look for in a role, or do you just look for good, well-written roles? You know, you don't really know what the role is until you play it. You have some inkling. You know, I always look at a script and I say, do I want to do these things? Are they <laughs> interesting Interesting to me? Will I learn something? Will this take me to some sort of discovery? Or is, is what expressed, what may be expressed in the events interesting to me? Um, that's really what it is more than anything else. I, I try to look at the whole thing and it's very much colored by not only the director and the people involved, but also the situation of how you're shooting. All those things are a, a, a whole package. I, I, I've, I never think in terms solely of a character. You know, The Lighthouse does seem, to me at least, as an outsider, unusually challenging, not only because of the location where you're shooting, but because the camera is on you or Robert for pretty much the entire movie. And there's kind of nowhere to hide. Did you did you seek out that challenge? Did you make any adjustments because of that challenge? Um, you know, the challenges are the blessings. Uh, <laughs> the, the way of filming, the film language in the lighthouse was very clear. And uh, we, it was very clear, our actions and very clear of how we were framed. So that created a great structure for us to live in that world, to live in those situations and to interact with each other. So nowhere to hide, there was nowhere else. <laughs> We're not thinking outside of the frame because the flag frame is so explicit. It's so well uh, realized. This film, uh, we were shooting in film, we were shooting in very difficult circumstances and Robert Eggers and his uh, DP, John Blaschke, had a very precise approach to how we were going to film. Things were framed very specifically. It's not like we were doing a lot of coverage to give lots of options to realize the movie in post, in the editing. Right. Um, we did have a great editor. She did a beautiful job, but I think there wasn't a lot of material to work with because the shots were so uh, designed. 
And when you have that kind of structure and you have that kind of clarity, sometimes it allows you to be in that place in a very full way. So this idea of no place to hide is a beautiful thing because everything has its own logic. Everything has its own truth. The nice, the nice thing about when, when the world is so well made that you enter, it tells you what has to be done. You don't stand outside of yourself. You feel almost like, of course, you're making choices, but those choices become practical. They aren't, they aren't, uh, they become in your bones. They become in your body. They, they aren't uh, intellectual choices. They're, um, they feel very practical, and that becomes liberating for an actor, I think, because then you are uh, more fluid emotionally. Yeah. Are there a few things that you've learned about acting or about movie making in general that you wish you knew when you started your career? Things that it's taken a long time to discover? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure, but I can't quite articulate those. Sure. I mean, every, the beauty of film is every, every film is different and it's colored by who's making it, what kind of what the intention of the film is, where it comes from, where you're shooting. It's, that's the beauty. Every time you approach a project, it feels so new. I can't think of many professions that are like that. Yeah. I think, uh, yes, I, yes, I learn things, and yes, I think your instincts get, um, get uh, refined, but I'm always interested in finding new ways. So, things that I've learned, oh God, you know, there are more questions of what I've learned in life, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the things that keep on going back to are, are sort of character things about how to approach your work and how to approach how you reflect on your experiences, you know. So what do you learn? You learn to be flexible. You learn to be curious. You learn to be receptive. You learn to be tolerant. Um, I think that those are the things that are always consistent. But do I have certain ideas about each time what I have to remember? Not really, because the job is always different. Mm -hmm. The job is different in the sense of the approach of how you do the character is, is different because how the character functions in the story is different and what kind of story you're telling or what kind of... Um, movie you're making is always different so it really slides around you know I think I know the answer to this it's because you said the challenge is the impulse the impulse uh, behind where you direct your attention the one thing that I have learned is it's nice to have a plan <laughs> and then to get yourself in motion because you need you know, action to inspire inspiration. It doesn't work the other way around. You can't wait for inspiration to make your action. So you get things moving, and then you have to be receptive to change them um, as you as you feel them. And that's that's really the act of um, having the character come alive. You know, one reason I love your movies and love your performances is I feel like you're obviously working very hard, but you're also, it seems like you're always having fun. 
Is that true? I mean, are you enjoying yourself? It's, it's true. <laughs> I, mean, I think that's true. That's very. That's, I'm glad. I'm glad you feel that because that's what I feel. I mean, it's it's all problem solving. It's all an adventure, and it's all a shift of how you think. You're always learning things, and and that's a that's one of the pleasures of the profession. So. It is hard work, but it's also fun because you're afforded. You never feel trapped. You're, it's, it's always a process of, um, yes, sometimes it's frustrating because you, but it's usually frustrating because you have a tight idea about how things have to be. But in the best circumstances, working with great people, they inspire you, and you have a, a shift of how you see the world and how you see yourself. And it's not so much about explaining, you know, your experience as opening to experience and uh, going to places you've never been before. And then that's when you are able to contact a sense of wonder and and enjoyment and, and pleasure in, <laughs> in life. You know, no matter how dark the story, even the story can be dark sometimes, but you can, you can uh, love having a new perspective on um, the challenges and the pleasures of, you know, having this human life. So that's, that's the fun. That's the pleasure. And, uh, yeah, uh, in the best circumstances when you're working well, no matter how difficult the situation, Lighthouse is a good example that's not fun being out in the cold. That's not fun, you know, being in the bottom of a grave having dirt thrown on you. It's not fun <laughs> to um, get banged around or to be in real brutal weather and to be cold. But <laughs> what you're doing has an engagement that you can't always get in life because it's kind of a structured adventure, and, and I love that. That was Willem Dafoe, and if you like that, we would love for you to check out MovieMaker.com, where you can check out more of our stories. You can also subscribe at MovieMaker.com slash subscriptions to MovieMaker Magazine. We had a holiday discount code recently, XMASMM, and here's a secret, still works, XMASMM. A lot of film news, and a lot of all news, comes from someone at a desk, turning out 10 stories a day, rewriting someone else's reporting, missing the nuance, throwing a clickbait headline on top. They're owned by some awful company that refers to stories as content. Not Movie Maker. We're doing interviews, visiting offices, traveling to festivals, really doing the work. And to that end, this next interview is from the SCAD Savannah Film Festival, where we talked with Laura de Clermont-Tonnerre about her wonderful film, The Mustang. It stars Matthias Schoenarts as a Nevada prison inmate whose life is changed by a program to train wild horses. It's one of the most underrated movies of 2019. We spoke in the library of the beautiful Perry Hill Hotel in Savannah, Georgia. I called them. I said, can I use your library? I'll mention you on the podcast. They said, sure. And we start with Laura de Clermont-Tonnerre talking about her past work in the very charming city of Savannah. It's kind of um, a second home to me because I shot the act here for six months last year. And I was living in an apartment just around the corner of the Perry. So I, I, yeah, it's very nostalgic for me to come back here because I had so much, so, such a great time. Yes, now I love being here. I really, really enjoyed The Mustang. I thought it was a beautiful film. Last night, I also got to see Clemency, which is another movie about a prison. Have you seen Clemency, Bunny? I chance? didn't, but I heard about it. Yeah. yeah, I heard it's pretty good. Why are prison stories so compelling? 
Um, I think there's such a fascination about uh, this very um, old, ancient, uh, archaic institution that never changed, actually. And, uh, and, and it, it, I, as a kid, I grew up always trying to find the sense of the punishment. What does it mean to punish someone? What does it mean to put someone, to lock someone in? What's the impact when you get out? Um, and what's the, what's the point? <laughs> yeah. And uh, there's no point uh, unless you are trying to re-educate, you're trying to teach something or you're trying to, to give it a second chance. Otherwise, there's just no point to lock someone in thinking that maybe one day he's going to be a better person. That's, that's not true. And it's a very old uh, institution that never changed, never evolved. And so, and because, uh, so there's a mythology about it. There's, um, it, it always intrigued me. So when I read about this article about animal therapy in prison, I was like, wow, yes, that's, that's interesting. That's smart. That's a simple way to reconnect someone with his own emotions and to kind of wake up, I mean, awaken the, the humanity that gets ignored or completely uh, dismissed in prison. I mean, you're, you're not a human being uh, anymore. You're just like a number, you're a, a suit, you're, um, but, but uh, so that's, I thought it was wonderful. I thought it was like, actually, yes, we need to have those programs. We need to expand them. We need to, to make sure that prison can be maybe one day a place where people just rehabilitate themselves and just, yeah, get the second chance that they deserve. Uh, learning love and empathy. Uh, so I, I, that, that was for me a, a, such a lot of contradiction and also a great hopeful potential response to what, what, where it is to be locked in in prison. And it's part of, it's a program wherein prisoners are matched with a wild Mustang and have to tame the Mustang and the Mustangs are then sold which can be heartbreaking for everyone involved. Yeah. And he comes to really empathize with this horse because the horse is a lot like him. It's, a, it's such a simple, beautiful metaphor. Yeah, it's like uh, they recognize each other that they have the same symptoms of fear and anxiety. And that's uh, very true. That's, uh, the, 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 the identification is real, very powerful. They have the same fear of being threatened. Um, so they are pushing back everyone that feels like a threat yeah. and, uh, and aggression and uh, lack of control, uh, um, empowerment, combative posture, it's a threat. So the animal is just like repairing uh, uh, by, by the low body language, uh, the, 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 the man emotionally, he, he rehumanize uh, the, 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 the human, which is a beautiful metaphor and, and it's a mirror um, effect. Yeah. It's like the man sees through the eyes of the animal how aggressive he is. And, and the animal teach his, teaches him patience, respect, and trust by building this very sensitive connection where um, uh, raising a finger count, you know, when, you, when you're not uh, properly uh, getting, approaching the animal, then the animal will never get to you. So it, it's kind of dense, you mm -hmm. know. It's like this beautiful, uh, invisible dialogues that is so powerful. There's no words. Mm -hmm. It's just body language. It's emotional um, uh, learning, and uh, and 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 it's actually very successful because those men get through this experience of being loved and loving this animal, and just and and understand what uh, it is 
for them to, to do when they'll be out, to reconcile with their family, to choose to make the right decisions, and just to tame themselves, to, to learn how to control their, their anger. You see people Googling, is this based on a true story? And it's absolutely based on a true program that you actually got to go and witness and, and talk to people about. Um, and there was also another program that was the basis of your earlier short film, Rabbit, wherein inmates were paired with smaller animals, mm -hmm. yeah. um, including yeah. rabbits. Yeah. Uh, that was also a real program? Yes, it was. Actually, the first article I read about it was about small animals uh, in a prison in, uh, in France. So this woman, Patricia, mm -hmm. she organized this program, orchestrated it, and, uh, and I could witness what she was doing. So she entrusted rabbits, birds, chinchillas even, <laughs> mouses, to, to inmates. And, uh, and those men were very um, moved by those little animals that they had to take care of, look after, feed, you know, just uh, play with. And they took it very seriously because it was a, 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 a survival need for them to, 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 to keep this connection. They cherished this relationship that would be like extremely um, careful. So based on that experience, I decided to direct Rabbit, which mm -hmm. is the connection between a female inmate and a little white bunny who... Uh, and she doesn't know how to connect with the bunny, and it's inside her cell, and like all her everyday life is completely disrupted by the presence of this rabbit. Yeah. So. It's a beautiful movie. I watched it today, and I really recommend people check that out too, as well as the Mustang. I had a rabbit when I was a kid, and you, you brought back a lot of memories of when the rabbit gets lost, and you have to chase it and find it, and they're so good at getting into quarters. Yeah. Very unexpected comedy. Yeah, in the movie. yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. First, when I read about it, there was all those interviews of like those gangsters, like you know, large men, pretty threatening. There was like, oh, my chinchillas just died, and I'm so scared, I'm so sad, and I cried like the first time of my life. And there was, like, there was something like very, yeah, there's something comical about it about all those small animals like being complete awakening those men's emotions. <laughs> so I saw that, yeah, I was like, there's something very comical. I need to see that. So when I came in prison, when I went there, I was like, oh yeah, I was really heartbroken because obviously there's there's a humor about it. There's definitely a sense of humor, but uh, all the pain and the sadness of the men were something that grabbed my heart, and I was like. I w this, this is definitely a drama with this poetic element because it's visually very beautiful and very metaphorical. But also, I think this dry sense of humor, which is also in Mustang, was very important for me as a viewer to take a little bit of distance. I was surprised that you were able to go and tour San Quentin. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? So yeah. Why were they so open to having a filmmaker come in? So it's because um, I had the chance to meet a woman named Kathleen O'Meara. And Kathleen... Uh, as the head of the house department in the prison of Northern California. She owns horses and she knew this program. She went to Nevada. So when we talked the first time on the phone, it was like six years ago, five years ago, five or six years ago, a long time ago, uh, she offered to, to her help to, to do research with me. She knew that I wanted to go in Nevada. And, I was, and she said, yes, we'll go in Nevada together, I'll come with you, but you should also come in San Quentin to understand your character. She had read the first draft and she was like, you don't, you, you don't get your character yet. So I was like, sure, I, I'd love to go there. 
So she selected some men that she worked with and some other men that actually had the theme that I was looking for. And, um, and I interviewed them and talked to them. It was men who had a huge... Uh, violence past and history of uh, anger and like unfortunately was lifers in prison so yeah. it means they were there since more than 30 years uh, for most of them without without parole date um, now I some of them got released but you know most of them are still there and those men had most of them, and the one, the one I talked with, had the time to reflect on their mistakes and could actually tell me the trigger of their mistakes and what happened. And it was really about ego and protection. And always the same theme was coming, and I could really understand what's, what is anger yeah. and how you can commit a crime and how long it takes to just commit, which is sometimes one second yeah. or two seconds. It's just an impulsion. And if you don't know how to control yourself, there's a, mo there's, there's, there's a, a place... There's a tragic flow. There's this very uh, weakness that you can have that just pushes you to do, um, uh, uh, un, I mean, yeah, uh, irreversible mistakes. It is, it is a little bit mad that people commit these crimes in seconds, as you said, and then spend the rest of their lives in prison. Yeah. What is the point of prison if not teaching people to not make those split-second mistakes? Yes, they said absolutely that should be the point. It's education rather than incarceration. That's absolutely what I think everyone should be aware of. And I hope the Justice Department, I hope that they are pushing in that direction. It's right now that there are some rehabilitation programs, but it's pretty few compared to <laughs> the massive incarceration that's happening in this country, especially. Mm. So I, I hope that those, yeah, that it, it would raise awareness and we are making sure now that we can show this film in prison that we can show the film to like different level of politics and governments and Kathleen is still helping for 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 in her department to be able to to expand the film and to show what's the benefits of being uh re-educated uh whatever it is through an animal through gardening there's a lot of different uh therapy i think animals are the best healers but there is also great other programs that can really beneficial, you know, be beneficial for, for, for the men. Being French, do you think you were able to see things about the American justice system that Americans can't see because we're too close to them or too in the middle of it? Maybe, yeah. I think the juxtaposition of lenses, being a European and exploring an American subject is definitely something that I think is exciting and because it's different ingredients. Or, um, there's a lot of contradiction, which I, th I think reflect this country. There's this obviously visual contradiction, having like this prison and this nature surrounded and putting those wild animals in prison, which is absurd. It's crazy. Yeah. It's beautiful and terrifying. And also giving an animal to a man and then putting him, taking him back after three months, which is so cruel. Yeah. So again, all those moral contrasts, visual contrasts reflect this country. And so I think I could have had the distance to see that and to talk about it and to explore it. Um, uh, yeah, probably. I've always been fascinated by those big spaces, but mm -hmm. I've always watched Western as a kid. And when I read about that, it was like organically, you know, aligned with what I wanted to do. So it was kind of a coincidence. But I think unconsciously, I, I, was, um, I had to, to do this research and it kind of brought me uh, in Nevada and brought me in the west, western part of America. 
which I didn't plan at all. So, mm. yes. Um, uh, one of my favorite films is Paris, Texas, which is oh, yeah. this beautiful uh, love story seen from the eyes of, an Amer of a European. And I think, you know, even when Woody Allen is talking about Paris or France or Europe, there's definitely a juxtaposition of lenses that are very interesting. Um, you did such an amazing job of drawing a juxtaposition between those confined spaces and the wide open world right outside of his prison walls. How did you shoot the different, the different parts of the film, the parts that were behind bars and the parts that were out in the wild? I decided to, to have a very, use a very loose camera for the wild to really follow the unpredictable movements of the animal and to stay very rigid and very um, claustrophobic inside the walls and to kind of create this back and forth, like a, um, like a, vert, ver, 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 vertigos between inside and outside, and, uh, and this apparent illusional freedom that you can have, even still if you have like barbed wires around you, but you're still with an animal like trying, working outdoor, which is huge yeah. for, for some of the men. Um, so that was like how, like a very simple way how we orchestrate and how we, uh, uh, envision the, the, the architecture of the film. And being an actor yourself, did you have any sort of, I don't want to say tricks, but any techniques to get a better performance out of your actors? It's definitely very helpful to have, um, to understand actors, to have uh, a lot of empathy for their vulnerability and for their, their um, braveness of being completely emotionally naked in front of a lot of people. That's really hard. I've been there as an actor. And uh, and yeah, I wish that uh, most of the directors I worked with great with actors, but some of them were thought that we were props. <laughs> and, uh, mm. and we was really scared to talk to actors because they felt that it was like not the part of their job. So I think it's, and actually, no, it's not true. Actors want guidance and need help and need to collaborate and need to talk about what they're experiencing, and it's um, and and uh, and and I, I love working with actors. I, I it's one of I think is the most important uh, element of filmmaking for me is working with them. And yes, definitely uh, my experience helped me so much to 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 build that safe uh, environment uh, for for them. And um, and it was the, the first thing that I knew because I never went to film school, so. You know, it was my 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 only tool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, acting is its own kind of film school, of course. Yeah, but yeah, absolutely. One of your actors, Matthias, your lead actor, was afraid of horses. Is that correct? He, that's funny because he said, first when we met, he was like, yeah, yeah, I ride, I ride, I ride. So, <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, 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 um, I know horses, fine. Um, and actually, um, yeah, when he was in the arena with this horse and like the horse trainer, he was, uh, it was, he was kind of like very, you know, <laughs> he was like, yeah, why he's doing that? Oh, he's coming to close. And it was like, yeah, it's fine, don't worry. He's, <laughs> <laughs> he, he's he laughs about that because yeah, he definitely, I, I love the fact that he was experienced fear and that really humbled. It's like fear humbled you in, you know, in, in this weird way. So he, I loved like capturing uh, on you know for for real those those emotion like in seeing him like a little kid you know in front of that horse and sometimes being like this mix of fear and 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 
and in my admiration uh, for one of the animal. Uh, we obviously had a lot of training with him and the horse, but yes, he had some moments where he had to kind of swallow his pride and just like, okay, now <laughs> to face my fear, which was great. And I think he was also expecting that. You've said it was like a dance. Was it as choreographed as a dance? Because the entire time I was watching the movie, I just went, how were they able to get these horses to do this? It was actually a very sensitive choreography between the horse trainer, the horse, Matthias, and the DP, uh, Ruben Impens, the cinematographer. The four of them had to, in a very tight space, had to um, feel each other's movement in order to work all together. So it was a choreography. It was not completely uh, um, uh, rehearsed. Mm. So it was a, a messy, loose choreography, but still wow. because of all their sensitivity, and obviously the horse was kind of the lead of this, yeah. and the horse trainer was always making sure he could control the horse because that's what he has to do. So yes, everyone has to adapt to those movements, and it was great. That's exactly how I wanted to, you know, to, 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 um, to, to do that because we had to get a very simple equipment. We had to embrace nature's in all this sometimes inconvenient, like so much dust and so much sun and so much like things that you cannot control and predict. But that was how we all wanted to make the film uncontrolled. <laughs> Did you happen to see Chloe Zhao's The Rider? Yes, I love that film. Yeah, yeah. They're such yes. good compliments to each other. It's, it's, it's true because the theme of um, virility, it's definitely very uh, present in, in both of our films. Um, yes, it's funny because there are three films about horses and uh, with very similar themes that came out within two years. Uh, obviously, we all were working so from so long in, in, on our films, so right. no one knew what everyone was doing. But still, <laughs> it came out. So, yes, it's interesting. Um, I met her, and uh, yeah, I think her film is wonderful. Very, very, very sensitive and 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 gorgeous and simple. Mm. I wanted to ask also. This is. I'm I'm going to wander into the Scorsese Coppola versus Marvel debate, but for a reason. Mm -hmm. The point that I think has gotten lost that Scorsese and Coppola are making is that if there are, there's, they're not necessarily saying end Marvel movies. They're saying if Marvel movies are taking every single screen in the theater, a lot of smaller movies are going to lose out. And I think a movie like yours is one of the movies that might lose screens. I mean, the Mustang comes out between Captain Marvel and Avengers Endgame. Do you feel that that is something that filmmakers, the industry, theater owners need to be careful of? Oh yeah, absolutely. We need to preserve cinema. Cinema should be seen in cinema, uh, not on a laptop or in a plane or in whatever, uh, or on an iPhone, which is even more terrifying. Cinema is to be seen in screen, in theaters, and that's so important. It's just changed the radically the experience. It's uh, my, my biggest um, cinema shock uh, and, and passionate, uh, you know, emotion we're on, on theaters. I, I, I don't feel nothing when I see a film on my, you know, on, on a laptop. I, I, I avoid it. Sometimes I do for entertain, pure entertainment, but when I want to focus on a film and the discipline to be in this dark room with other people at a specific time that you have to commit with, it is something that is very rare today. We all like completely invaded by social media and uh, yeah. information, all things, going in theater, I'm like, I'm committing to a film, I'm gonna focus on a film, and I'm gonna 
field experience, being enveloped by a sound, by a visual, by uh, in a space that is made for that. So yes, the experience is to protect and preserve. Do you feel under threat by the superhero movies or do you feel like there's some happy medium between cinema and whatever they are? Um, I think they're taking much more space, that's for sure. I'm more threatened by TV than Marvel. Hmm. I think TV is getting, it's taking over cinema in a very, very scary way. And uh, because the writers are getting much more involved into uh, TV than cinema, because uh, it's it's getting a very comfortable um, um, uh, budget, which mm -hmm. now is very rare in cinema. Uh, so it's 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 everything to lure you and to seduce you, and uh, and that's that's how. And I worked on TV and I loved it. I have nothing you know against. I watched TV show, love it, but I am I'm, I'm scared that it's really damage going to damage the, the cinema landscape and ecosystem. Yeah. And you just have to keep theaters open somehow, which means all of us going and voting with our feet. I mean, just showing up in the theater if we care about preserving this art form. Yes, I, see. I mean, it, it, yeah. And how it's, I, I, there's a French, um, uh, French company, MK2, very famous, obviously. And they have a campaign now where it's like cinema is to be seen in cinema. Uh, and they have like all those slogans and all those to, to and, and they have these prices, very low prices for, um, for, for, for young people to, to so I, and that's great because I think what they're doing and also they make sure that cinema be, be, is still like a, a place um, they are doing all those concept stores around, or they're, tr they're now building like this hotel in Paris where you can rent a room and watch a film, and you have like these mm. big screens. And so they're really encouraging. More than that, they are completely advocating for cinema and theaters, and uh, and and I think uh, it should be done here in America.